Welcome to Cardio Radio, a podcast of the Ohio Cardiovascular and Diabetes Health Collaborative, also known as Cardio. This is Dr. Michael Constant from the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, and I serve as the principal investigator for Cardio, a statewide network of Ohio's seven medical schools. Cardio is funded by the Ohio Department of Medicaid and shares best practices to improve cardiovascular health, diabetes outcomes, and to eliminate health disparities in Ohio's Medicaid population. The opinions and recommendations in this podcast are those of the presenters and not those of Cardio and its sponsors, and are not intended to be a substitute for medical advice. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. I am Glenn Solomon, Professor of Medicine and Chair of Internal Medicine and Neurology at Wright State University Boonshoft School of Medicine. In my clinical practice, I work as an internist and see patients in Dayton, Ohio. I am also a member of Cardio's Team Best Practices. In this podcast, we will talk about the impact of tobacco use disorder and tobacco-related illness on the health of patients. Discuss how to support patients in developing a plan to quit smoking using proven evidence-based techniques and share resources for clinicians in treating tobacco use disorder. With me today is Cynthia Shepard Solomon, clinical associate professor in the Department of Internal Medicine and Neurology at Wright State University's Boonshoft School of Medicine, a registered pharmacist, and a member of Cardio's Team Best Practices. Both Cynthia and I are nationally certified in tobacco treatment practice. Thank you for being here, Cynthia. Thank you for having me for this important discussion. This podcast is for all healthcare professionals involved with primary care and ambulatory clinical teams, especially clinicians working in office practices. We use the terminology tobacco to address all tobacco use, which includes combustible tobacco products as well as alternative tobacco, like electronic cigarettes and smokeless products. It is important to note, negative health effects of vaping are quite significant, although not addressed today. We hope to motivate clinicians to seek out more tobacco use disorder learning opportunities to further improve patient outcomes. Let's begin. Cynthia, if you could speak to the overall impact of tobacco on our society. Tobacco-related illness is the number one preventable cause of disease and death in the United States. Active smoking and secondhand smoke are responsible for at least 30% of all coronary heart disease mortality. This amounts to 500,000 lives lost each year in the United States. It kills more people than AIDS, alcohol, car accidents, homicides, suicides, illegal drugs, and fires combined. It increases cancer risks, and the likelihood of acquiring a type 2 diabetes diagnosis goes up by 30 to 40 percent. Glenn, would you speak to how this reflects in a clinician's evaluation of the patient? Doubling the 10-year risk of fatal events, smoking causes platelet dysfunction, fibrinolysis, inflammation, and vasomotor abnormalities. Mortality from cardiovascular disease in women who smoke is relatively higher by 25% than in men with the same tobacco exposure. In a study of patients who were 55 years and younger, with myocardial infarction, smoking was the number one risk factor in men and was second only to diabetes in women, exceeding both hypertension and family history. This should be a significant part of our clinical oversight of patients. Cynthia, please describe for us who are these patients suffering with tobacco use disorder? Over the past decade, 
Over 40% of adult Medicaid recipients in Ohio regularly use tobacco. In fact, Ohioans use tobacco at a much higher rate than people in most other states. 22% in Ohio compared to the 14% average rate of smoking in the United States. Often, those with health-related disparities, such as psychiatric comorbidities, the homeless, HIV-AIDS patients, those with less educational attainment, and minorities are the most likely to suffer with tobacco use disorder. The cost in lost productivity, healthcare, and drugs each year in the United States is more than $300 billion. With the current FDA proposed ban on menthol containing tobacco, more than 1.3 million will seek to quit in the next year. Clinicians need to be prepared to assist these individuals with evidence-based advice. How can we as clinicians make a difference? What is evidence-based advice? When a patient receives help and guidance from healthcare professionals, the chance of a successful tobacco quit attempt improves. Evidence-based advice includes approaches that have been shown to be successful in thousands of studies investigating this topic. It comes down to a three-pronged approach. Individualizing pharmacologic treatment, overseeing psychological counseling to help the patient identify habits and learned behaviors, and then leading them into sustaining changes in their behavior via close follow-up. These proven methods improve success rates dramatically. Patients who try to quit using over-the-counter nicotine replacement therapy by itself with no counseling or support from a healthcare professional actually do worse than trying to quit cold turkey on their own. Wait, can you repeat that? Why is that? Patients who try to quit using any type of over-the-counter nicotine replacement by itself with no counseling or support from a healthcare professional do worse than trying to quit cold turkey on their own. People need guidance to successfully choose and utilize available smoking cessation tools. Using nicotine gum, for example, without medication counseling also sets the patient up for failure. Nicotine gum should be chewed briefly until it tingles, then parked in the buccal area of the cheek, and then the process is repeated. Chewing it like other chewing gum, swallowing the juices created, increases the chance for abdominal discomfort with nausea. Nicotine, the active ingredient, will cause GI upset. Offering the patient effective counseling makes a difference. Clinicians need to know this basic information. Evidence-based tobacco treatment involves having an involved, proficient clinician. It's a key to improving outcomes. Let's say this again in a slightly different way. Tobacco use disorder is a chronic relapsing illness maintained by physical nicotine dependence and learned behaviors. Approximately 70% of people who use tobacco products want to quit in any given year. On average, people who want to quit smoking make six attempts to quit before they successfully achieve long-term abstinence. Helping patients recognize what contributed to their previous struggles with a failed quit attempt goes a long way towards making their next quit attempt a success. This key piece often isn't considered in self-help 
one type of nicotine replacement therapy-only programs, like some telephone-based programs. Often, evidence-based treatment is not even discussed with the patient during an office visit. The patient, not wanting to be judged, doesn't bring it up, and clinicians, uncomfortable with how to to approach a tobacco use disorder discussion, don't bring it up. The bottom line is patients benefit when clinicians feel more confident in discussing and managing tobacco use disorder. Proficient clinicians improve patient success. The United States Preventive Services Task Force recommends that clinicians at every visit ask all adult patients about tobacco use, advise them to stop using tobacco, and provide them with evidence-based behavioral interventions. Even brief interventions, which include asking about tobacco use, advising a patient to quit, and offering effective evidence-based referrals to other trained clinicians can make a difference. For example, group counseling has been found to be a very effective tool. Clinicians may choose to refer to another healthcare professional. For example, the neighborhood pharmacist who is trained as a tobacco treatment specialist to help oversee the patient's counseling piece. Cynthia, can we expand a bit on giving specific advice for patients as they begin their quit attempt? Be ready with practical advice. Recommend effective tips like cleaning out a smoke-filled bedroom or emptying and cleaning car ashtrays to help reduce smells or visual stimulation from long-followed old habits. Sucking cinnamon-flavored toothpicks or holding a carrot stick instead of holding a cigarette can open up new habits. Offering simple, proven advice helps the patient consider alternative routines. If possible, the patient should engage a friend or a spouse as a supporter. Can we speak more about these techniques? Is there a standard approach we can follow? Yes, there is. A series of steps called the five A's. Ask, advise, assess, assist, and arrange provide a highly successful roadmap for clinicians to follow when assisting a patient through a quit. These steps in detail can be found at the website of the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality at www.ahrq.gov. Initiating discussions with all tobacco users, regardless of their readiness to quit, is recommended. By encouraging the patient and staying involved to optimize advice, clinicians can help formulate a workable quit plan. Having a non-judgmental conversation to set a specific quit date chosen by the patient moves things forward. The patient can then be guided towards a quit that includes the components of success. By understanding the differing pharmacologic actions of the seven FDA-approved drugs indicated for smoking cessation, clinicians may individualize treatments to lessen nicotine withdrawal while reducing nicotine cravings. What are the seven approved medications? Nicotine replacement therapy includes patches, lozenges, and a gum, a nasal spray, and an inhaler. The two other approved therapies are bupropion and varinoclin. The various medications may also be combined for short and long-acting effects. By reviewing past tobacco use, 
illuminating the patient's current patterns, including the number of cigarettes smoked per day, clinicians can predict fairly accurately the patient's nicotine dependence. If the patient seeks a cigarette within 30 minutes of awakening, it suggests greater dependence. A different pharmacologic approach will likely be required for this patient versus a patient who smokes less often, say only after meals or sex or when drinking. But either way, clinicians must also follow other evidence-based pieces. Both of these patients with differing needs will require support and counseling to change their behaviors. A thorough tobacco screening, not just a yes or no about current tobacco use, includes the patient's history as you just explained. But also just as important is what occurred during past unsuccessful quits. For example, if a construction worker out in hot weather is prescribed a nicotine replacement patch that slides off with the sweat of the day, it makes for a difficult quit attempt. Knowing this was an obstacle during the last quit attempt helps clinicians rethink how the patient might successfully use medications now. Being familiar with cost-free or at-cost sources of medications, such as a Medicaid provider or insurer, can reduce patient concerns by covering the cost of individualized medications and counseling. We want to help make clinicians aware of how important accessing the tobacco resources from Medicaid providers can be, as they provide ancillary tobacco treatment specialists for patients to access between clinic visits. Taking advantage of these services helps surround the patient with a reliable quit team. Evidence suggests that for tobacco treatment, addressing individual needs versus the one-size-fits-all approach is superior. Although the tobacco quit line phone number 1-800-QUIT-NOW is one phone number no matter where one resides, what is offered does vary state to state, often based on available funding. Some states offer four weeks of nicotine replacement therapy, some eight. But patients may need as much as 16 to 24 weeks of medications. Only one strength of nicotine replacement patches may be available in a particular state and offered just depending on that state, and the patient's previous experiences with quit attempts may not be considered. Glenn, would you say it's adequate for clinicians to provide patients with the phone number for the quit line and assume that tobacco use disorder will be completely addressed? Having a clinician proficient in evidence-based tobacco treatment, overseeing an individual's care, has been shown time after time to raise quit rates. The Ohio Tobacco Quit Line, currently available to all Ohio residents who are U.S. citizens, is advertised as self-help or as an aid to self-help. Its best outcomes, however, are 3 to 11 times more likely when a clinician stays involved with the patient through the quit. The program may best be utilized for less nicotine-dependent patients who may not require lengthy medication management, since it is less likely that patients will receive a full course of individualized medications. The number of counseling calls offered to a patient vary by state and are not necessarily dependent on the patient's specific need. Cynthia, are there other options for patients to consider? Seeking care with clinicians who understand tobacco use disorder brings a patient's unique issues to the forefront. 
whether it be worries about weight gain with the quit or their diabetes if they begin to eat more, patients need evidence-based responses. Resources like telephone coaches, text message programs, and other innovative outreach can support patients between visits to the clinic, but they are not substitutes for clinician oversight and involvement. Some patients may not have a smartphone or consistent working phone lines, making these support tools even more challenging. During a quit attempt, patients need to touch base with the knowledgeable clinician who is willing to see them when necessary for encouragement and counseling. Is there a standard way to offer counseling? Counseling needs do vary patient to patient. Practices may offer group as well as individual counseling options. Group sessions have many positive attributes in tobacco treatment. Patients can have the option to share their experiences with others and hear how others are handling their challenges, optimizing each success by sharing. Better successes come by working as a team to help patients achieve their specific goals. Whether it is outreach from a nurse in the clinic or the patient's pharmacist, clinical support reinforces new routines and proper use of medications. Close follow-up from clinicians, for example, when a relapse occurs, can turn into lessons learned for the patients. When they recognize unhealthy behaviors and acknowledge them, the likelihood of a successful quit goes up. A dedicated patient visit to discuss how the quit is going highlights triggers, such as previous holiday traditions or past smoking-related enjoyments. Statements such as, I learned that stress in my life makes me reach for a cigarette, or the cravings I get every time I feel pressured by my spouse to keep up the housework, provide a roadmap to discuss alternative coping mechanisms. What other issues should be addressed, Glenn? Remember to document each visit, including counseling, clearly and thoroughly. Telehealth or internet options, as we have highlighted, can be found in the American Academy of Family Physicians Telehealth Guide. Make a go-to directory for yourself and for your staff, listing resources worthy of your recommendations before offering it to your patient. If you like a program, also identify its sponsors. Some may include commercialized tobacco companies. Be sure to evaluate each for viability. Today, we have discussed employing techniques for successful tobacco treatment. Patients need to be offered a thorough, proven approach for quitting tobacco. Despite as many as 70% wanting to quit tobacco, patients often do not raise the topic of needing help to quit during an office visit, nor do clinicians always ask about tobacco. Every office visit should include asking about tobacco use, advising patients to quit, and at a minimum, providing brief behavioral interventions. Health benefits begin as soon as a person stops smoking. The resources provided here support proven effective successes. Let's just take a minute to review the patient benefits of quitting tobacco use. In as little as two weeks to a couple of months, circulation improves and lung function increases when a patient quits. Within one year, the excess risk of coronary heart disease is half that of a continuing smoker's, and in 10 years, the risk of dying from lung cancer is about half that of a person who is still smoking.
At 15 years, the risk of coronary heart disease is the same as a non-smoker's. These benefits should motivate all of us to seek out further tobacco treatment training. Your patients will achieve greater rates of success in overcoming tobacco use disorder with your oversight and support. Smoking cessation improves overall health anytime. Resources on tobacco use disorder and smoking cessation are available on the CARDIO website. That's C-A-R-D-I hyphen O-H dot O-R-G. Thank you for joining me today for this conversation, Cynthia. Thank you. I enjoyed our discussion. And a special thanks to all of you, our listeners, for tuning in to Cardio Radio. This concludes today's podcast. Be sure to visit cardio.org to learn more about the Ohio Cardiovascular and Diabetes Health Collaborative.